Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and as always my partner is here, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire of USA Today. Jay, uh, of course it's been a very, very chaotic and hectic week for a multitude of reasons outside of the sports world. That being said, I hope you're doing well uh, mentally and physically and just really excited to give people this brand new episode and, and hot content. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking, man. Um, hope you're well as well. Uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's been a, a crazy week, as you said, but I'm good hanging in there, man. Uh, like I said last week, uh, just been watching the numbers and the, the reception people have been giving us and we appreciate it, you know, especially in, in this time, you know, we need to provide people with some sort of entertainment, especially with them being in their houses and whatnot. So, I'm just glad that, you know, we're able to entertain people and give them what they want. We appreciate all the love and support. And yeah, man, glad to get back at it. 100%. And we do have a really fun topic to get into here in just a moment. And Jay, you alluded to it just a moment ago as far as the reception that we've been given. And a lot of that has come from the reviews we've received on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much. Continue to do that. Subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying it. That is one of the best ways to support the show. We're also available on your other favorite directories uh, other than Apple Podcasts, including Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And of course, you can find us as part of the Believe Library at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And as far as social media, you can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. So Jay... Really excited to get into the topics this week. We're going to start off with something we unfortunately had to cut out, which is the fan questions or listener questions, I should say. So we're going to cover that here first. And let's get right into it, Jay. So the first question is coming from uh, our buddy Vez. And he asked, is Todd Wash on the hot seat finally? If so, who are some candidates that we may be interested in to replace him? So this is a this is a question that can come from a few different ways, Jay, because before we started, we were talking about, of course, this all depends on what kind of season the team has, because Shad Khan may decide to clean house altogether from Dave Caldwell all the way down. But if they have a relatively, you know, solid season, but the defense still struggles, then this is maybe where we come to a impasse as far as Todd Wash's tenure with the Jaguars. So are there any names that might be on your radar for either one of these scenarios? I know we uncovered a few that have been floating around out there. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, it, all this depends on how things go. Um, and I think for Doug Marone, Doug Marone to make a, a change during the season, things is basically going to have to really, really get bad. Uh, and it's a possibility it could go that route, you know, um, Todd Wash is going to be implementing a new defense. 
although we don't know to what degree, but we'll see more 34 concepts, should I say. But uh, you have to question how much 34 you're going to see when they use nickel a lot, too. So it might not exactly uh, be as much as we're thinking. I guess, I mean, it's a time will tell type of thing. But if it does get really bad during the season, and I, I'm assuming this is what Vez is asking, because otherwise, you know, we, we definitely won't know who's going to be the defensive coordinator if it's going to be a whole new staff in general. That would be based on whoever the head coach is. So I'm assuming he's asking in a sense uh, that, you know, if it gets bad during the season, who could replace him? And is he on the hot seat uh, heading into the season? You know, Doug Marone hasn't really said or indicated that he's necessarily, quote unquote, on the hot seat heading into the season. Uh, But one would think, regardless of him saying it or not, that Todd Watch has to be on a short leash. And again, he's never really coached a 3-4 or predominant 3-4 like that. So people are right to be skeptical about how the team is going to transition. And if that does have to happen, I believe really when you look at this coaching staff, because you're probably going to have to hire from within, which me and you talked about. Uh, when you look at this coaching staff, the only logical guy that I can really think of because uh, Doug Marone had a relationship with him before Jacksonville. And I think they were together in Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, Jason Revovich, who is the defensive line coach. Uh, and and that's kind of ironic because Todd Wash was a former defensive line coach too. Uh, but yeah, Revovich is the guy that I would think maybe that they would do from within, hire from within or promote, should I say, from within if a situation like that occurred. Uh, but again, I think like it got it has to get really, really bad for Doug Marone to make a change in season. And I think, you know, if even if Ty Watch looks, we'll say average to bad, you know, I think Doug Marone will make do with him until the season is over just to prevent having to make that change. And then when the season is over, if Doug Marone still holds his job, then he'll probably make a change from there. Um, and then, I mean, if Doug Marone is still the coach next year, you know, you, you got to consider guys like, I, I guess the one that comes off the top of my mind is like Jim Schwartz, because that's his friend. They still have a relationship. They talk during the off season. Uh, but you know, what does that mean for the 34? Because if I can recall as of late, at least, uh, Swartz has been a 4-3 guy. So, I mean, that's just a mind, a name to remember if Doug Marone does make it past this season, but the defense struggles. So, Jay, just to kind of add on to Vez's question here is, you know, it seems as if Doug Marone is going the route of bringing on coaches that do have head coaching experience. And there's a name that I've seen floating out there from uh, from various news sites mentioning the name of Marvin Lewis. Now, do you think this might be around, not specifically Marvin Lewis, but also a name like Brett, uh, Brett Bielema, former coach of Wisconsin, as well as Arkansas. If Dave is still the guy, you know, come this time next year, do you think he'll continue to bring in guys who have that type of experience in both either the college game or the pro level? Yeah. You know, if Doug is still the guy, as you said, or well, you, you said Dave, but I know you meant Doug, if he's still the guy, which I, I kind of ha- have a hard time seeing, I think like if the defense struggles, I think Doug Marone is probably gone in my opinion. But if we're looking at a scenario like that, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he looks for a guy with head coaching experience, because, you know, that's, that's what he, he has done. As you pointed out, they got Jake Rutten, um, and, and there's been some others that they probably looked at as well. That's escaping my mind right now. But, and, and, you know, if he did that, I wouldn't mind that. But again, like, I just feel like if the season is bad enough, especially defensively, then, you know, Doug Marone is probably gone. But that's just my speculation. You never know with Shad Khan. He might keep him around. 
Uh, but yeah, I don't know, like necessarily like about like Marvin Lewis was one of the names you mentioned, um, because I don't know if Marvin Lewis wants to come back into the game as uh, assistant as opposed to being a head coach again. I think the only opportunity he may jump on is more so as a head coach. But then again, you never know. You know, Jack Del Rio, who um, is familiar with Marvin Lewis, if I'm not mistaken, they're from the Ravens tree together. Jack Del Rio has done it, you know was a head coach, was a defensive coordinator for many, many years afterward and did it, uh, you know, he, he did it happily. So, you know. Wade Phillips, another guy like that? Yeah, yeah, Wade Phillips. That was the guy, now that you mention it, actually he was the guy that I wanted the Jags to hire this year. Yes, that would be a good hire. If Doug Barone somehow has a bad defensive season and, and escapes this with his job, yeah, that's a guy to look at, like a Wade Phillips type of guy. Um, a guy that, you know, Wade Phillips been doing it for many, many years. He's a guy that would implement a 3-4, probably a truer 3-4 than, um, than uh, Todd Washwood and probably knows how to coach it a little bit better and, and is more, uh, you know, knowledgeable of it than Todd Wash as well. And it's not not Todd Wash, but the 3-4 is just what Wade Phillips does. So, yeah, that's that's a guy to really watch out for him. And like I said, just due to the basically the relationship that the the bond that he has uh, with Jim Schwartz, Jim Schwartz is another one. Although, again, um, I don't know about Jim Schwartz's background with a 3-4. I more so know about his background with a 4-3. Yeah, and just as recently as February, Wade, Wade Phillips did tell Sports Illustrated he is interested in coaching again. So, yeah, a really good name to keep an eye on. We'll move on to our next question here from an old friend of ours, Jay. His name is Jacob DeLawrence. He hosts a couple of podcasts over here on the Believe Network. Of course, he has the uh, Believe in NXT podcast and the Believe in UConn women's basketball. So make sure you check out both of those. Uh, Jay Jacob has been no stranger of being critical of our praise of the Jaguar wide receiver group, which is why he asked, why do you feel so confident in the receiving group? Because largely they're young and unproven. And I feel like we went back in time for this question because I feel like he asked us the same exact thing right before the 2019 season started. So Jay, I'll let you feel this one first. Why do you think it, it is that we feel so confident in the receiving group, uh, as Jacob so eloquently put here? <laughs> While we are confident in them now, we're not. We're, I don't want people to get this misconstrued that we're saying that they are the Cardinals receiving core. We're not saying this is like an elite receiving core. And when I say the Cardinals, people probably got like question marks floating over their heads like, huh, the Cardinals. But the Cardinals receiving core as of today looks like one of the best receiving cores in football between Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk. Um, and it's somebody else that I'm missing. That's pretty good too. That that's escaping my mind right now, but their top four is just ridiculous right now for Kyler Murray. But yeah, like we're not saying this is an elite receiving core, but I don't, I, I think people are disrespecting this receiving core. As a matter of fact, I saw an article by PFF. I think they had the Jazz receiving core ranked like 31st or dead last or something like this. And I don't know if Jacob falls in this category, but I think people are just underestimating the receiving core. And as I said, like when we had this conversation last year, as I said, DJ Chark is going to step to the plate. He's going to be the number one guy for this team. And that's exactly what he was. And he did it to the level of, you know, and, and again, we could take Pro Bowls for what they're worth. We said that in the past. Sometimes players don't truly deserve to be in a Pro Bowl. I'm well aware of that. But DJ Chark is one of those guys that went to the Pro Bowl and deserved to be there. And he proved everybody to everybody at the abysmal rookie season. He only had, what, 15 catches in his rookie season. 
that he was the most improved player on this team without the shadow of a doubt, a thousand yards. Uh, I think it was seven to eight touchdowns. And he was, he was the best deep threat on the team, arguably one of the better deep threats in football. So that alone right there is, you know, that's high praise for this receiving core. They got, they have a guy in DJ Chark that could lead the way. And he's not even done filling out his potential. He's just, what, two years in the game. So, and, and Keenan McCardell, and this is another reason I'm very high on this. Keenan McCardell is a very, very good receivers coach, uh, receivers coach. And the reason I say that is because he didn't just show that with the growth of DJ Chark. But he even showed it prior. You look at the growth of Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns, what he taught them and how they played. Those guys developed very well under uh, uh, Keenan McCardell. And the, I feel like these young receivers are going to continue to grow in the same manner that those guys did and that DJ Chark has. And, and and again, you look at what's beside him or what was on the depth chart under DJ Chark. Um, I think Chris Conley has always been an underrated guy that was underutilized with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's if you want to talk about athletic, one of the most athletic receivers in football, you know, he had the drops last year. I think it was seven according to PFR. Yeah, that's concerning. Uh, but look, Chris Conley had what? He was the second in receiving. And I'm sure Phil will look this up. I think he had like 700 yards for a number two receiver. What more can you ask for? You know, if, you, if you're talking about a number two under your number one, that's not a bad stat line to have for him. And he might have had like four to five uh, touchdowns. And then you got like guys under him, like Keelan Cole for crying out loud is going to be the fourth receiver on this team. And Keelan Cole's resume, I looked back at it a couple days ago. I think in total he has nearly two thousand yards. He has like a thousand and seven hundred yards since entering uh, the the NFL. And you know this is a guy that came into the situation undrafted. Another testament of Keenan McCardell's ability to coach. Although Keelan Cole wasn't used a lot last year. Uh, the development he showed in his first two years was alarming. And for him to come into this season and be the number four or five, a guy that's fighting for the roster spot, that's a testament of the young talent, at least, and the potential is how I will put it, that this this receiving core has. And then you have guys like Colin Johnson, who could be your, you know, the Alan Lazard, what we want Alan Lazard to be for this offense. You have him. You have LaVisca Chenault. I know, like, LaVisca, of course, like, him and Colin are unproven. They're rookies, especially if LaVisca has to prove that he can stay healthy, but the potential is there. And you add those two and their potential with what Keenan and Cardell has shown in terms of coaching up receivers. How can you not be excited about it? This team is certainly not a bottom tier receiving core or, or they don't they certainly don't have a bottom tier receiving core. Uh, but at the same time, we're not saying that these guys are elite in that elite tier, but they're definitely they have the potential to be one of the top 10 receiving cores in football between everything I just listed and the coaching staff that's in place. So many good points there, Jay. And like you said, we neither one of us are trying to say that the Jaguars have the best receiving group in the league. What we are saying, I think, is that they are underrated and underappreciated because of a lot of the reasons you just listed there. Jay, like you said, as far as Chris Conley go, he goes, he did have 47 catches, 775 yards, five touchdowns. He had some great, great games throughout the season and proved his athleticism, as you mentioned there. Of course, DJ Chark making a huge jump from year one to year two. Again, backs up the claim or what you were saying about Keenan McCardell. 73 catches, 108, I'm sorry, 73 catches, 1,008 yards, eight touchdowns. Of course, did end up in the Pro Bowl as well. I'm really glad you mentioned Keelan Cole because yes, Keelan Cole in the last year in the last couple of years has had 
a significant drop off in production as far as what we expected out of him coming off the 2017 season. But the fact that he's still on this roster as an undrafted wide receiver is is pretty special. Like you said, he got LaVisca Chenault and Colin Johnson coming in. And I mean, those two guys learning under Keaton McCardell is just going to be a great situation for them. Uh, Jay, I think the receiver you maybe were thinking of is Andy Isabella over in Arizona. And they also have Kenyon Drake coming out of the backfield. So yeah, that Arizona wide receiver group is going to be is, is going to be top tier, going to be elite for sure. But let's not forget this wide receiver, uh, this wide receiver group also helped Gardner Minshew throw for over 3,200 yards and over 20 touchdowns as a rookie, you know, just being thrown into a almost unwinnable situation. So while I, I, I think maybe the misconception is we're trying to say that the Jaguars have this top tier receiving group. No, they can definitely get better and they might get better this year. When you talk about adding a guy like LaVisca Chenault and then being able to move DD over to the slot, I, I will admit, I think last year we did expect DD Westbrook to make the jump that, DJ Chark did, and and, uh, and those rules were actually reversed. But now with LaVisca here and, and Didi being able to move back into that slot position where I think he will be best, I think we're going to see the best of Didi Westbrook here coming up going forward. So a lot of really good points there. Hopefully that answers the question as far as why we are so, so high on this receiver group. Um, we're going to move into our very last question well, here, Jay. Which you know, yeah, I'll say ahead. this with, with uh, Didi too. Um, the, the thing is with him – I don't even want to say move him back, so to speak. As and me and you have said that often, like we use that term moving back to the slot because he he has played a lot of snaps in the slot. But I guess what we're trying to say is definitely like where he can focus on the slot position and solely focus on the slot position and not worry have to not worry about having to play on the outside. Right, absolutely. So moving him into the slot position more frequently, I think will definitely benefit him greatly going forward. Which transitions into our next question, which came from Twitter from a listener, uh, Randy. And this one was interesting, Jay. Uh, and it, it, he asked us, is the is this the best offense on paper that we've had in Jacksonville since the 90s? So at first, when I read this question, I was I thought it was a little outlandish, admittedly. And Randy, we really appreciate you asking this question. But then I really thought about it. And I'm trying to think between the 1999 team and now, which one of these offenses has really been stand out, you know, really stood out. You know, I guess you can think of 2007 with David Garrard and Maurice Jones-Drew. But as far as those receivers, I mean, we had what, Dennis Northcutt and I can't even, Mike Sims-Walker. I don't know if he was on that team or not. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look. But then when I really thought about it and looked at this question and thought between 1999 and now we're talking 20 years i mean as far as some of the weapons they have some of the people they're bringing in i mean is this really the most ridiculous thought that's i mean honestly he may actually kind of have a point if things work out the way that we expect them to and hope that they do (laughs) man you hit the nail on the head with that when randy asked that question shout out to randy that's my boy too man we we've met randy we actually met randy through the jaguars at a game and I forgot, or it might have been uh, for a draft party or whatever the case may be. And he's followed us all along the way. We appreciate the support, Randy. But the reason I'm laughing at it is because Phil does make a good point. And Randy does pose a legit question here. Because I, when I thought about it, when like Phil said, I was like, you know, this, this question is a little bit outlandish. And then I thought about it. I'm like, dude, Randy has a good point. I've never looked at a 
offense that the Jaguars have had since the 1990s on paper and said, oh, yeah, this this offense is just going to light it up. So it's a legit question. So the question is, in comparison to what we have seen in the past, in the 2000s up to the 2000, uh, up to this era, and when you look at this team on paper offensively, have you ever been able to say, like, these guys are better than what we have on paper now in comparison? So that being said, I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's actually been a time where I looked on paper aside from, like, this year and had a little bit of confidence. I think you could say the offensive line is a little bit of concern to me. Uh, But yeah, there definitely are, I guess I'll put it this way, there are more notable guys or uh, more guys to be optimistic about going into the future as opposed to, uh, you know, what we've seen on paper offensively in the past. I think like when I, I guess you could say back in 2017-ish, you can kind of see some potential on paper when you, you know, when they had Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns and then they had Marquise Lee, you know, we always, the thing with him always was, can he stay healthy? Uh, but they also had Brandon Linder on the offensive line. Um, you know, there was still hope at that time that Blake Bortles could develop into what we would hope he would be. And, you know, in 2017, that was his best year uh, without a shadow of a doubt. So for that year, at least, um, he may not have far exceeded expectations, but he did look better than we thought he would, I guess you could say, especially that December when he played the Seahawks in that span of teams in early December. Um, so, you know, I think like that's the one that you might can look at pa- on paper and say, hey, this this team might have some potential and I'm very excited about it. Was that 2017 one? So, it's yeah, that one. In comparison to this one, which, you know, on paper, you see Gardner Minshew again, kind of like he's coming off a situation kind of like Blake, I will say. But except for I guess we'll say he looked uh, like he he has the potential to be a franchise quarterback is how we'll put it. So you got a guy like him that you're excited about, like you were with Blake Bortles is how I'll put it. Uh, You have, you know, a better, much better receiving core and a receiving core like me and Phil already said we were already high on last year. So you add two two elite or, or two very good college prospects in Johnson and Chenault until there, you, you know, you could be happy about that. The offense. And I think this is the, the key part about it too. When you look at it is the tight ends position, which is going to be featured. And Jay Gruden said that this week in his presser, which I, I have the um transcripts to, and I've been posting about basically in terms of articles, but when you look at the tight end position and how it will be featured, and yeah, sure, you know, Tyler Eifert is a big question mark with his health. Yeah, sure. But I think people are more so excited about the return of Josh Oliver and what he could be um, as a young receiver in the, or young tight end in this offense. I mean, we look at the, all of these young guys that are developing, the Travis Kelseys of the world and um, the, uh, the George Kittles of the world and how they've developed over the past, you know, first three years or first four years of their career, you, you you see potential in him as well. I guess even though we didn't really see much out of him on the field, he only had three catches, but all of the things that we saw in training camp and his connection with Gardner Minshew makes you excited. And, uh, you know, then, you know, you get James O'Shaughnessy back and I know people like looking at their, their cell phones or their radios like James O'Shaughnessy, but make no mistake about it. James O'Shaughnessy was one of Gardner Minshew's favorite targets before he was injured. And he had two touchdowns, uh, with him when they linked up together, as well as they had 19 
Um, I think it was 19 attempts that Gardner Minshew made to James O'Shaughnessy. So that's alarming. You know, that's a guy that he really liked and a guy that maybe uh, they can reestablish that connection going forward. So, yeah, it all there is pieces aside from the offensive line uh, that you can be excited about. It's just a matter of if the offensive line will take the step that the front office believes they will. So I did go back, Jay, and, and bring up this 2007 roster. Now, of course, the running back room, much better between, of course, Fred Taylor as well as Maurice Jones-Drew. We also had Greg Jones back then as well when the team still utilized the fullback position. Also, Montel Owens. Remember that name? We haven't heard that name in a while. while. LeBrandon Tofield, also another name I haven't heard in such a long time. But here is the wide receiver room as far as the Jaguars back then. Uh, As I mentioned, Dennis Northcutt, Matt Jones, Reggie Williams, Ernest Wilford, Chad Owens, and then, of course, at tight end, we had Mercedes Lewis, a young Mercedes Lewis. Then also George Reister. Remember that name? Uh, Joe Zelenka and Richard uh, Angulo. So, yeah, that lots of, of names that obviously wouldn't make very many best of all time lists when you talk about any franchise, let alone the Jaguars. And then, yeah, the offensive line, you know, Cleef Barnes, Vince Manawai, Brad Meester, Chris Naoli, Uche Winare, you know, d- names that we that were around for a very, very long time. But this was such a good question, which at first just seemed like something crazy until you really sat down and thought about it. So again, shout out to Randy. Thank you so much for those questions. And if you would like your questions answered here in the podcast, guys, just get at us on Twitter um, uh, at the Believe in the Jags pod. And uh, we we love answering these questions and and getting really, really great questions as well. So that being said, Jay, we're going to move on to our main topic of the week. But before we do, we want to take just a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor. So, Jay, I know a lot of people are sitting at home, bored, looking for something to do. And while it may seem like options are limited, you can still have fun betting with our partner, betonline.ag. Yep. While the NBA, NHL, and MLB may be on hiatus, betonline.ag has plenty of games, events, and sports to wager on. That's right, Jay. NASCAR is back. There are weekly Madden and NBA 2K simulations. You got the UFC running fights. And then don't forget the online casino with poker and blackjack. And be sure to check out the final dance roundtable interviews with former Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper, as all of them discuss Michael Jordan's full documentary. That's right. They're still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100, M-Y-P-O-D-100. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So we're doing a series here. This is part one of a two-part series, Jay, where we're going to be going back and looking at the best and the worst draft picks of the Dave Caldwell era. We decided to start off on a positive note because we feel like everybody could use a little bit of positivity, especially right now. So we're going to go with the top five best draft picks of the Dave Caldwell era. Now, Jay, there is going to be a very, very painful connection between some of these players that we're going to mention, and you guys will probably be able to spot that here very, very shortly. So we'll start off, uh, I guess we'll start in in uh, descending order. We'll go with number five. 
and we went with Miles Jack. So, of course, Miles Jack came in the 2016 draft, uh, the 2016 draft class, which will have heavy representation in, in this episode. But we went with Miles Jack. Now, of course, last year, Jay, we talked about this before we got started. He had a little bit of a down year, but not necessarily his fault because he was he was really in a in a spot and in a position that he really wasn't comfortable or familiar with. And again, just really did the best he could. Now you can bring up some of the, especially in the first game uh, against Kansas city, not very, not a very good look. You know, you just became a captain. You can't put yourself in that kind of situation, especially when you're trying to establish, establish yourself as a leader. But we did go with miles Jack uh, because, you know, he still has a, a ton of potential. He didn't even really play that much as far as his rookie season. And uh, in, in a couple of years, you know, when he was teamed up with Puzz and uh, the rest of that linebacking core, he, he really has excelled. And we're pretty excited to see him now back at, uh, you know, back at a, a position where he will probably be more comfortable with the addition of Joe Schobert. So talk a little bit about why we put Miles Jack as the fifth best draft pick of the Dave Caldwell era. Yeah, like a lot of the reasons you you said um, last year, you know, he was out of place and I, I won't say. Uh, it wasn't a position that he wasn't quote unquote supposed to be in, in a sense that he hadn't played it before. Uh, it was, it's just more so can he play it on the NFL level? Because I think he did play Mike linebacker in college too. Uh, but you know, it, and, and another thing about it is schematics too, is, you know, is he, um, good for the position in a four three scheme or, or entire watch scheme and how he utilizes linebacker. And the answer to that was no. So, uh, that being said, you know, that was a year wasted of his career where he should have probably been in that scheme and that scenario uh, more along the lines of a, a weak sideline backer, probably just based off his skill set. Uh, he's just better when he can go and play downhill and hit somebody and find the football as opposed to being the quarterback, essentially, of the defense. And then his first year, his rookie season uh, was kind of wasted, too, because he didn't see the field as much as he should have. So. That being said, like Miles Jack could very well be number one on this list had uh, things been done right and and handled right in terms of him as a player and the staff getting him on the field. It's not so much his fault. So, uh, you know, the reason he's down on this list is it has nothing to do with Miles Jack for the most part. So in terms of why he is on the list, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, Miles Jack, I've always said this. I've said this on the actual national radio airwaves or regional radio airwaves. Uh, he's the most versatile player I ever evaluated in in my and in terms of a college prospect. He was the most versatile I ever seen. Now, again, on the NFL level, playing certain positions, you he just can't do it on the NFL level. But in college, man, I saw the man play cornerback against Nelson Aguilar. I saw the man play running back. I saw him play multiple linebacker positions. And if I'm not mistaken, and don't I might be wrong on this. It, there were times where he played, um, you know, as a rush linebacker, I believe. But that was so long ago, man. Like, and when you've seen all the bad Jaguars football that we've seen and all the bad film we've seen, it gets all of the good stuff kind of gets lost in there. But uh, he was very versatile coming out of UCLA. And uh, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, had the Jaguars placed in the right position when they drafted him and let him stay at weak side linebacker if they were going to do a 4-3 beginning from his rookie season. Let him start at weak side linebacker. Uh, You know, who knows, man? This guy's career, you know, he's a multi-time or multi-time pro bowler. 
Uh, but that being said, yeah, he, he's definitely talented without a shadow of a doubt. It's just a matter of putting him in the right position. And he is a guy that in the future I do see garnering Pro Bowls if he's in the right position. And I think he'll be better definitely with Joe Schobert alongside him that we plan in the interior of the defense. And I think, yeah, this will change his career for the better. And um, I guess ultimately uh, time will tell to uh, as to if, you know, this kick starts the beginning of Miles Jack as a all pro and a pro bowler like we think he has the potential to be. When you point out the type of athlete that he is as well, Jay, I mean, th- remember the guy played running back a little bit at UCLA. That is absolutely nuts. And and like you said, I think the jury is still out on him. I think it's definitely trending more positively than it is in the other direction because of some of the struggles he had last year. But yeah, like you said, and like I already mentioned, I think this year he's going to thrive alongside Joe Sherbert and the 40 gang, you know, you know, so I'm really excited to see what happens with Miles going forward. Yeah, one more thing too. We forget that Miles Jack uh, was supposed to be drafted higher. And you may have said something about it, but I didn't. He, he was supposed to be drafted higher than the second round. Despite all of the issues he's had with the Jaguars, again, those are not his fault. But if you put Miles Jack uh, in the right position in a, a team that's going to put him in place to flourish, Miles Jack should have been a first round pick, too. So that's a big part of it, too. Um, we just haven't seen him look like he should be a first round pick for the most part of his career because he's been misplaced. Right. Because of the injury, there there were talks about him going within the top 10. And I think a lot of it has to do also is he will will always be compared to Jalen Smith over with the Dallas Cowboys. They went through similar situations as far as their draft stock and have both been rewarded with second contracts and deservedly so. But Jalen Smith, you know, probably has has outperformed Miles Jack as far as a, as his um performance as a whole so but again as i mentioned my, you know miles jack definitely trending positively as opposed to the other direction now moving on to our number four pick here jay this is we kind of went back and forth on this here and we ultimately decided to put brandon linder at number four now linder was part of the 2014 draft class that also included blake bortles he did originally start off at uh offensive or i'm sorry at, at guard and then of course we have moved them over to the center position. Now, just recently, as last year, uh, Touchdown Wire did list him as the ninth best center in the NFL, which is it's it's a big deal. You know what I mean? And and he has been relatively consistent. Now, since he did get the uh, the second contract, he has been plagued with injuries as far as 2017 and 2018. Now, he was able to play the full season in 2019. Of course, the, we have already talked about the struggles that the offensive line has had. So Jay talk a little bit about why Brandon Linder landed at number four on this list. Yeah, man, like Brandon Linder is probably the best offensive lineman, or I guess you could say second best. We didn't include Juwan Taylor on this list because he's is early in his career, but Juwan Taylor is trending upwards too at right tackle. He had the penalties early in the season, but that last quarter of the season, he showed some great potential. I'm I'm very excited to see where he goes. And as is Jay Gruden, as I posted in on on the Jaguars, why? But I digress from my point. But aside from Juwan Taylor, in terms of uh, linemen living up to their potential, I think Brandon Linder for Dave Caldwell, at least in his era as GM, is the guy that has definitely lived up to the potential at that unit. Uh, because as we've seen that, there's been some struggles there. 
And in terms of evaluations on Dave Caldwell's part, and you can include Tom Coughlin in there too. They paid um, Andrew Norwell to be the highest paid guard in the league at the time, two years ago. Uh, That was, we'll say that was a miss in the sense that they overpaid him and he hasn't lived up to be the best guard in football. I mean, he hasn't been maybe as bad as me and Phil and others have said, uh, but he certainly hasn't been good or uh, hasn't played to that contract. So they struggle with that. Um, Cam Robinson has been hot and cold all throughout his career. Hasn't been the offensive tackle we thought he would be when looking at what he did in Alabama and his dominance there. And uh, A.J. Cannon, of course, we all know what how we feel about him. Um, I think that's pretty much consensus around the fan base and with us. So, like, he's really – Dave Caldwell has really struggled at the position. And when you look at that unit, the one guy you can always look at when he's healthy, of course, like Phil said, he's he's had some injury issues. But when he's healthy, the one guy you can always look at and say, hey, he was consistent this year, that was Brandon Linder. And then, like Phil said, the versatility is also there because he was a left guard, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for a season or two before moving to center. So he offers you versatility there. And, you know, if you have some injuries in the interior, Brandon Linder is a guy that, you know, you, you stick Tyler Shatley in there who could play guard and center. You place him next to Linder and you got the problem fixed at least for a game or two if you need to. So Linder is a guy that was, uh, you know, coming into coming out of college out of uh, Miami. And I think he went to the senior bowl. He was very underrated. The Jaguars saw him and they saw potential in him. He's a guy that I remember when they drafted him, I was like, I don't know much about this guy. And then when I did the research and looked at the film on him, I was like, this could be a gym. And uh, he, he has, for the most part, when when you take out the injuries, he's been a gym for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's been, most importantly, too, a leader for them. When you think of the offensive line and you think of the offense, you think of team captains, and he has been a team captain in the past. You think of Brandon Linder. Albeit he's a quiet guy, he's a guy that just goes out there and he works his butt off. He's not a rah-rah guy. Uh, when you think of leadership, Dave Caldwell definitely got a leader for his team for many, many years. It's going on, what, it was 2013, so that's seven seasons right now. Uh, so he's, he found a leader for seven seasons uh, for this team, and uh, you know that, or six seasons. Um, so that being said, man, um, Brent, that's why Brandon Linder made this list. And I think Brandon Linder eventually, if he can stay healthy, I think he's a guy that eventually could get in the Pro Bowl, which he would very, very much deserve. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, as far as when you look at this tenure as a whole, Brandon Linder has been a gem. And that's the that's where you really want to hit between rounds three and five, where you can really find those players that are going to fill out the roster and not only fill the roster, hopefully be solid starters. And as we, even though we already mentioned Brandon Linder has had some injury issues when he is available, he has proven to be a very, very valuable commodity. So Jay, we'll move on. Uh, Jay, we'll move on until our top three here. And I will warn you guys, it is going to get a little bit painful because these three players have one thing or are about to have one thing in common. And Jay, we went with number three. We put Allen Robinson which, of course, uh, turned out to be, you know, even though he was a second round pick, you know, did turn out to be a little bit of a gem uh, himself. He did go behind Marquise Lee uh, as well as that also part of that 2014 draft. So the 2014 draft really in general is a pretty solid one for Dave Caldwell. But, you know, Allen Robinson, of course, he had his huge breakout year, his second season, 80 catches, 1400 yards, 14 touchdowns was part of that really, really great duo with Alan Hearns, you know, the Allen bros. We had them 
in there for a couple of years. And we really expected between, you know, Hearns and Robinson, as well as Blake Bortles to have a a dynamic threat for years and years to come. Unfortunately, that is, that was not the case. Now, uh, the 2017 year, he was injured, of course, in that very first game against the Houston Texans. So he was not even part of that magical AFC championship run, which is just crazy to think about that, you know, they were able to be that successful without their best receiver on the team. So Allen Robinson lands at number three, even though he is, of course, currently with the Chicago Bears. Now, his first season with the Bears, uh, 55 catches, 754 yards. However, this past season, 98 catches, 1,147 yards. And, you know, one of my criticisms has always been he didn't want to play with Blake Bortles anymore, it seemed like which, of course, I definitely don't blame him. But for him to go from Blake Bortles to Mitchell Trubisky is is really, <laughs> honestly, was just really comical to me. That being said, you know, A-Rob headed off to Chicago, but he was still good enough here to land him at number three. I, I think to answer your question uh, in, in terms of uh, the change or, or uh, you know, going from Trubisky, from Blake Bortles to Trubisky, I will say this. I think Allen Robinson's decision to move on to the Chicago Bears was more because, and he he said this, I think it was with Brent Martin. No, don't quote me on which exactly interview this was. I think it was with Brent Martin on ESPN 690. He did say the the constant changes the Jaguars were making didn't exactly, I guess, I don't want to say sit well with him, but it was concerning. It was concerning. And, you know, that, that makes sense. You know, you don't want to see frequent changes changes in the front office and the coaching staff you want uh consistency you know you want something that's going to be there sustainable is uh the word i'm looking for so you know maybe that more so had to do with him going to the bears because the bears had if i'm not mistaken if they had just got mitch trubisky they probably had just got uh matt Nagy, who's their coach and he was probably thinking that you know that that nucleus was going to be in place for uh you know at least three years which it has been uh, looking back at it. So it was probably more so the reason he moved on to them was probably more so about, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, a nucleus in place that was going to be around uh, for the future instead of constant changes. So I guess that kind of answers the question of why he chose Mr. Trubisky, uh, who, who came with those changes and, and uh, it's going to be there for this year at least. So we'll see. Uh, that being said, um, like I said, I digress from my point. Uh, in terms of Allen Robinson, he was always one of my favorite receivers when here. Loved his playing style. Uh, you know, I know when they had Greg Olson, if I'm not mistaken, coordinator Greg Olson, uh, he was a guy I enjoyed watching because of the double moves. Him and Allen Hearns, they, they made a lot of double moves. They made a killing off of double moves on film. And I used to play receiver myself, so just watching receivers is fun. Watching how they played was fun. Uh, watching what he was as a guy, as just an athlete that could go up and get the ball was fun. And, you know, he was supposed to be with this team for many, many years. And again, like all of the changes scared him away, which I guess you can understand. Uh, unfortunately, he got a bad quarterback with the change he made to go to the Chicago Bears. Uh, but yeah, he's a guy that, you know, when you look at Dave Caldwell's tenure before he moved on to the Bears, uh, you could say Allen Robinson was a guy that you certainly could see the Jaguars and Dave Caldwell, especially if he was going to be the GM as long as he has been, was a guy that they were supposed to be paired together for many, many years. But unfortunately, things happened and that did not happen. But, yeah, Allen Robinson is a guy that, you know, if Blake Bortles would have worked out and the offensive pieces would have all worked out that Dave Caldwell drafted alongside Allen Robinson would have worked out, 
he would have been a guy that was a multi-time pro bowler. And that's simply why he made this list is uh, because he would have been that guy, not just for Jacksonville had he stayed here and things gone right draft wise, but he would have been uh, one of the guys for the NFL in terms of um, the receiver position. Yeah. And despite the way that things ended up with him now, always really enjoyed watching a Rob play and, and just the, connection that he seemed to have with Bortles as well as you know his teammate Alan Hearns who of course now is is gone as well Uh, something I think I already mentioned this just left a lot of optimism here in town even when the team wasn't was underperforming and it was just sad to see I I think one of the guys on, on this list that you were more so sad that it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to and I think some of that you alluded to there just uh, with your statements here, Jay. So with that being said, we will move on to number two on the list. And uh, a guy who, uh, of course, is not very happy. He Now, he is currently still on the roster, Jay, of course. But he is doing pretty much everything in his power to get out. And we went with Yannick Ngakwe. Now, of course, we've talked plenty about Yan here lately. We haven't heard much from him in the last you know few weeks or months ever since all of this craziness started throughout the entire world but the jury's kind of still out you know do they just expect him to play on the tag do they just expect him to sit out are they going to move him we know what's going to happen we're not 100% sure but this uh, of course uh, was taken in the third round of the 2016 draft quickly quickly outperformed his rookie contract and very, very fast became just one of the best pass rushers in the league. And Jay, you said this before we started. The reason he is so high is because he does play pretty much the second most important position on the field. Either you are the quarterback or you're getting to the quarterback. And Yannick Ngakwe has consistently been one of the best getting to the quarterback here in the last few years. So you know, even though it kind of hurts to talk about him and he may be on the, um, you know, on, on the on the wrong side of the tracks as far as Jaguar fans go. But Yannick Ngakwe, definitely deserving of being number two on our list. Definitely, definitely. Um, Like I told you before we started uh, airing this, uh, I've always said, uh, well, at least, you know, in the past, you know, before the the last two draft classes, and, and you can still kind of say it now that Yannick Ngakwe is Dave Caldwell's most important pick. And I say most important, not necessarily his best pick, but most important because of what you said and what we mentioned uh, together. And uh, before this, this, uh, this podcast was he, he plays the defensive end position. And he, 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 like you said, you either rush the passer, the most important positions for a GM is to rush the passer or have the guy at passer. And, you know, me and you have never really been high on Blake Bortles like that. So therefore, Yannick Ngakwe always has been, even more so than Blake Bortles, the most important draft pick Dave Caldwell has had. Um, but, you know, somebody could change that, and that somebody is Josh Allen because he plays the same position and he may can do it better than um, than Yannick Ngakwe. We'll have to see. But when you look at Dave Caldwell's past, because I'm also a Falcons fan, you look at when he was with the Falcons, that's something that they've always struggled with was finding a franchise pass rusher dating back to then. T- till this day, Thomas Dimitrov doesn't have a franchise pass rusher. They, you know, they were hoping it was Vic Beasley. Um, they, they're still looking for that guy. So 
uh, for Dave Caldwell to hit on a pass rusher in the third round, I thought that was just crucial and important. And that's why, like, I was a big advocate of keeping Yannick and Gakwe around. But uh, it looks like the relationship isn't salvageable. I guess we'll find out in the in the summer and the fall if he comes back. But only time will tell in terms of uh, what he's done since being drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. You cannot discount. You know, I know a lot of people are mad with him right now. And. Uh, you know, well, in, in me and Phil's case, we don't see him coming back, but that doesn't mean you have to discount what he's done in the past. Yeah, he's never been like a 10 sack guy aside from what, maybe one season. Uh, but the impact he has in terms of turning the ball over, that's so important. I think people underestimate that. I mean, you take Yannick Ngakwe, put it this way, you take Yannick Ngakwe out of the 2017 roster and the 2017 roster does not go to the playoffs. They don't. Point blank, period. As mad as people are about Yannick Ngakwe, you take him out of that roster. He made plenty of crucial turnovers that shaped that season to what it was. We're not talking about a Super Bowl, a team almost going to the Super Bowl if there is no Yannick Ngakwe. So that being said, you take him out of Dave Caldwell's draft equation. And Dave Caldwell doesn't have a single winning room, probably doesn't have a single winning season in his seven-year tenure, and he's probably fired by now, if we're being honest about it. So that being said, Yannick Ngakwe is just that important to Dave Caldwell's formula in terms of what he's drafted. And, you know, I would love to see them keep him. Um, At the same time, I understand if the relationship isn't salvageable and he wants to go elsewhere and the Jaguars need to move on and, and, you know what I'm saying, get that situation out of their locker room so they could progress forward. I can understand that. But I guess time will tell. And, you know, that's a question that has to be answered uh, during training camp. I am still holding out, for lack of a better term, (laughs) that was unintentional. Sorry. I'm still holding out hope that this relationship can somehow be fixed. It's not a very large amount of hope. It's very, very slim. But my, you know, my... uh, expectation is I don't think Jan is going to sit out and miss on a large paycheck. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't seem like, I think he's smarter than that. Now, whether or not he'll be with us long-term, I'm not sure, but I I don't think that he's going to sit out the full season. Now, who knows what's going to happen? What's that? Um, I, I also say this. I don't want to cut you off. Uh, excuse me, Phil. Uh, before the the thought just get out of my mind, I want to get it out. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I, I'm pulling out hope on that too that he comes back. And a part of me thinks he could come back. A part because of, of what you said, and this this is why I'm again I ain't want to cut you off, but I, I wanted to chime in on it before the thought just exited my mind. But you think about it, Yannick's only made like four million dollars less than that. Probably when you put in the fines that Tom Coughlin probably hit him with. I don't know if they you know they rescinded the fines, but. You, you put in the fines he got last year and maybe some NFL fines in there. He probably made less than four million or so in, in, in terms of his career. So you put that into the equation with the fact that he could make 18 million guaranteed. And that's guaranteed if he gets injured. You know, he could go and we're going to knock on wood. We don't wish injury on anybody, but he goes out there and slip and hurt his ankle for the season. He gets paid, you know, or, you know, that money's going in his pocket uh, down the road. So I think. In terms of that, and excuse the thunder in my background, y'all, it's look like some bad weather coming through. But, uh, I, you know, I think like that's a reason to hold out hope is just uh, like you said, that that would just kind of be a little unwise 
for somebody who, uh, you know, hasn't made a lot of money in their career to begin with. Very, very good point there, Jay. For somebody who wants to be paid and recognized for the talent that he is, I like I said, just don't see him missing out on on that kind of money. And we, we will definitely see there. This saga is, of course, not over. It may have been put on pause temporarily because of everything going on, but I, I definitely think there is is more to this story than what we've seen. So uh, we will move on here to our number one pick, and I think a lot of people probably know who this is going to be. And uh, just another another situation, unfortunately, Jay, that just did not work out. And you know, I, I'm not sure. And I'm pretty sure actually that we probably can't put this blame all on Dave Caldwell, mostly on, of course, the previous <laughs> president of football operations that we've mentioned here. Tom Coughlin is the primary reason that this guy is no longer with us. And of course, that being Jalen Ramsey. Now, a lot of people in the Jaguar, uh, you know, the Jaguar fan community, of course, not very happy with the way things went down. And that's understandable. Fans are very, very loyal to their teams. And when their players are not loyal to them, people get upset. But uh, of course, what gets lost in this a lot is is it is a business. But also, you know, you, you want to have control of, of where you're at and you want to have you want to be happy. You know what I mean? And and Jalen, of course, clearly was not happy here anymore. Now, he had been a winner primarily all of his career at Florida State. And then you come into a position where, of course, you're one of the best players coming out of the draft. And you come to a team that's not going to be very good. And I think we saw peak Jalen in 2017, of course. You know what I mean? He, we're, the team was winning. You know, the team was gelling as far as all the personalities for the most part. And now there were definitely some things going on behind the scenes that we have documented before. But 2017 goes the way that it does. You know, he comes out on the field before the AFC Championship game. We're going to the Super Bowl and we go win. And we know we hope we all know the story. 2018 comes around and things just don't go the way that we expect them to. And then everything just falls apart in 2019. Now, despite all of that stuff, despite everything that was said by him and some of the actions that he may have pulled as far as on his way out of Jacksonville, he's still been the best pick of the Dave Caldwell era. And he's a guy that we weren't even 100% sure would still be there on the board when we took him at number five in 2016. Now we can credit the Cowboys for taking Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, we were, well, I, I know I was in the stands, Jay, and that is the loudest I have seen a, a draft party in, in a long time. I think since we went to see the Jags draft Justin Blackman at Ale House one year. I know you remember that <laughs> when people went yeah, nuts. <laughs> that was nuts. People went crazy over that pick, but this one was multiplied to the, you know, to the 10th power because we were in the stadium and we were part of that draft party. And again, wasn't weren't 100% sure if he would be there or not. So Jalen Ramsey, I mean, he just brought so much attention to the team. Some of it, of course, negative, but some of it positive. But when you're a, a team that is growing and you want to be more on the map, you need a guy who is a legit superstar like Jalen Ramsey. And I think that since Maurice Jones drew, I don't think the team really had a superstar across, you know, all the, the NFL. You know what I mean? And, and that and Jalen was that guy. Now, unfortunately, it did not work out. We're hoping that, you know, things are much different with, of course, C.J. Henderson. We will see. Time will tell. But of course, Jalen Ramsey landed at number one on this list, which of course means, Jay, that numbers one, two, and three on our best draft picks of the Dave Caldwell era 
are no well are no longer with the team or want out. So talk a little bit about Jalen and you know just why he is number one and why he deserves to be number one. Yep, I'll first start by saying that the reason Jalen Ramsey probably isn't here is uh like you said out of Dave Caldwell's power and you know like you said we will mention a certain executive president of football operations but at the same time it's somebody higher than him that you could say without a shadow of a doubt that is also the reason why Jalen Ramsey is here and that's ownership Shad Khan. Uh, Shad Khan is the one that brought Tom Coughlin into the equation who uh, probably you know this disrupted some progress that Dave Caldwell could have made in terms of drafting you know that's that's the simplest way to put it and uh, he sh- he certainly fractured the relationship between the front office and uh, the team's best player. You know, the arguably, you know, one of the franchise's best player. Uh, that being said, you know, when they drafted him, man, like you said, man, we all went nuts. He was a guy that we weren't expected to be there. He's a guy that, you know, he makes this list over Yannick Ngakwe, of course, because he has been an all-pro. You know, he's been a pro bowler, which Yannick has too, but uh, Jalen went to the Pro Bowl, what, two times, if I'm not mistaken, um, during his career. So, you know, all pro and pro bowler, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. And it's so unfortunate he's not a part of the team. But at the same time, he, he didn't want to be here, um, probably because Tom Coughlin, I guess you could make the argument that maybe Jalen Ramsey might not have wanted to be in Jacksonville without Tom Coughlin in an equation. But that's a whole nother can of worms that, you know, it'll take us forever to figure out. But uh, that being said, man, just um, a, a solid player, man. He, he's a guy that people were saying could have played safety or quarter. Uh, you don't hear that often. You know, you only hear that with elite athletes. He's a guy that, you know, when he was here for the most part, shut down a whole side of the field. That's very important. It is very important in football. Shut down a whole side of the field or a whole third of the field, however you want to put it. Uh, you know, you never had to worry about giving up a lot of yardage which who who with whoever Jalen Ramsey was covering at the time. Uh maybe you can argue maybe DeAndre Hopkins, but he's in the class of his own too. So uh, you know, it's again unfortunate he's not here. But uh definitely Dave Caldwell's easily Dave Caldwell's best draft pick. You could say that he fell in Dave Caldwell's lap that was a lot of um I guess you could say luck that went into that. And I agree. I agree Dave Caldwell probably shouldn't have had the opportunity to even have Jalen Ramsey on this roster but the fact of the matter is he fell in their lap and he should still be on this roster and he's not unfortunately uh but that does not change the fact of the matter that he's a elite talent and he is uh probably the best corner in football and the best draft pick in Dave Caldwell's tenure and I think most fans would agree even though things did not work out as far and are not fans of how he handled things on his way out I think pretty much all fans will agree they definitely wish he was still here I don't think a team gets better by losing a guy like Jalen Ramsey or a guy like Yannick Ngakwe or a guy like Allen Robinson. And look how long it's taken us to replace the production of an Allen Robinson where he left in 2018. And now here in 2020, we finally feel like we maybe have that number one guy as far as DJ Chark. So, you know, that's uh, I, I think a lot of fans would echo that sentiment where we wish that these guys were still still around or in the case of Yannick's case, hopefully he does stick around a couple of guys that we have as far as honorable mentions, Jay, that we did consider throwing out there were Josh Allen. Now, because he is still in only his second year, we did leave him off the list for right now, as well as DJ Chark, same thing coming into his uh, coming into his third year now. 
So guys that we we think are trending positively. However, we just have not put them on the list quite yet, but they definitely have the ability to to maybe end up on this list uh, come long term. Yeah. So, yeah, on your honorable mentions, guys, it's crazy what I just said, all of that about Jalen Ramsey and how he was the best player that uh, is of the Dave Caldwell era and how he fell in their lap. What's crazy about it is Josh Allen also fell in their lap and Josh Allen actually in some ways can right that wrong of of uh, replacing in the sense of replacing uh, Jalen Ramsey is how I'll put it as his best draft pick. And again, that's because he impacts the quarterback more than the cornerback could. And if Josh Allen is what I think he can be, if he's this Von Miller type of prospect that I I think he is in terms of the production you can get, then yeah, he could replace Jalen Ramsey on this list. Like as far as like probably next year, And, uh, you know, that's just very, you know, how many GMs get that lucky to lose their best player and get a player that's better than that player uh, down the road? So I think that's a noteworthy tidbit to put and a little asterisk to put by Jalen Ramsey's name is, uh, you know, Dave Caldwell. And I guess it's because he's been around so long, you know, has had two shots to have, you know, a best player in his uh, his whole tenure. And uh, he got a guy he has a guy on the roster that could replace Jalen Ramsey as the best uh, to in my opinion, without the shadow of a doubt, if Allen lives up to his potential, one hundred percent. I don't think any of us really expected Josh Allen, including the team, including the front office, expected Josh Allen to be there at seven. And it almost happened again this year with Isaiah Simmons and you and I, and and us in the uh, the Zoom chat, the Zoom party that we had created, were all holding our collective breath, hoping hoping that it would happen again for the second year in a row. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And we, of course. Hope that CJ Henderson ends up being that guy as well in the long run. But yeah, Josh Allen definitely has the opportunity to be number one on this list going forward and and hopefully be excited and, and want to stick around as long as, you know, both sides do exactly what they're supposed to do and what they're expected to do. And we will definitely see what happens in the future. But that's our top five list there, Jay, as far as best picks of uh, best draft picks of the Dave Caldwell era. Next week, we will be tackling the worst draft picks of the Dave Caldwell era, which of course will have a much different feel as far as uh, this episode goes. But we're going to wrap up here, guys. This was a really, really fun one we wanted to bring you. And, you know, we're going to continue to bring you guys really great content here going forward while we're still finishing up and, and heading back into the real world very slowly. And if you are, you know, heading back out to work or, you know, going to, you know, in the case of Florida, going to theme parks or whatever you may be doing, just continue to be safe. And, you know, things, even though things may be trending a little bit positively, we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of responsibility as well. So that being said, Jay, you know, what do they have to look forward to as far as the uh, the site and uh, anything else that's going on? Yeah, man. Um, like like we said with uh, the Believe podcast here, Believe in the Jazz, we're going to be trying to get on some guests uh, to occupy everybody's time until the Jaguars actually uh, get on the field uh, cohesively together. I know they got back to work um, to a degree, letting certain people in uh, so far, but uh, it's still not a full go yet. So, you know, we'll be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, you know, we'll try to bring you guys some guests and, um, you know, maybe even do a, a like a league wide look around you know get the other believe guests on for the other teams somebody to represent them or the wire sites shout out to my comrades at the wire sites to you know to speak on these teams that we may face or 
uh, just speak on other teams in general, you know, bring a nice little interesting twist uh, to the mix. And then on the Jaguars wire, um, I'm going to continue to do our positional depth chart uh, predictions. And that's interesting in itself because they haven't even taken the field together yet or, or haven't even really been working out together like that. They have been virtually, but not like cohesively, as I said before. So I'll continue that. Uh, we'll continue to look into all of these pressers, which the Jaguars have done a good job with, by the way, uh, having virtual pressers. We'll continue to talk on that. Doug Marone met with the media today. They'll have people on next week. We'll monitor that. And uh, the interesting nuggets that are that are basically coming out of that, because, um, you know, as we saw this week, Gardner Minshew provided us with some content, uh, as did Jay Gruden. So hopefully we get some stuff on the defensive side next week. And uh, we'll be reporting on that as well. So just stay tuned to the Jaguars Wire. Stay tuned to the Believe in Jazz podcast as well as we will be doing our best to keep you all entertained uh, during these uh, crazy times uh, in America. So that's it for this week's episode here, Jay. And we're going to wrap up in just a moment. But I did want to take the time to use our platform and really just discuss what's going on as as far as uh, in, in the events in Minneapolis and with George Floyd and Jay, you know, you and I both as minorities here in the South, we are definitely not immune to, you know, just racism within the community, but also systemic racism. And of course, here in the on the podcast, we we try to stay away from any kind of political issues. But when it comes down to, you know, human issues, it's something that we want to use our platform to to elevate and talk about things like this, because we feel like it's very important to have an open line of communication. Now, whether no matter what side you fall on as politically, that's that's not what we're discussing here. And what we're talking about is somebody who should be with us here today. And and Jay, you as you know, a, a young man in the African American community, I it really does pain me to to worry about you. You know what I mean? Even when for for something you may just go out and do like go for a jog or go to the grocery store, it, it pains me that I have to worry about things like that. So, you know, we're, we're going to wrap it up here in just a moment, but I, we did want to take some time to sh- send our condolences to the family and for anybody going through anything like this, we just don't wish it of course on, on anybody. And we hope that there is a, a change that comes from all of the things that are now currently going on in Minneapolis. So, so Jay, I do want to give you this time here on our platform to just kind of discuss that and, and address it here before we wrap up. Yeah, appreciate that, man. And I want to start first start by saying that I just appreciate you as well. But I appreciate everybody that has, uh, you know, reached out and, you know, just sent a simple I love you or, or, or express concerns just as you have. And, you know, I have plenty of friends that have done that. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. So so thank you all for that. And um, my condolences to the uh, Floyd family and uh Everybody and the friends as well. And rest in peace to George himself, or should I say rest in power. Um, As that situation in Minneapolis was was very tragic and very dark and it just it leaves a hole in your heart, you know, and which I said on Twitter, you know, people saw that uh, that it's just it does something to you and it shakes you up, especially as a, um African-American person. And I mean, like, I'm sure it does something for other minorities. I can speak for Phil on that as well. So. Uh, yeah, for those of you that are using your platform uh, to 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 speak out and um, you know speak for change and justice, we appreciate that. We really do, and I speak for Phil on that as well. And um, minorities in general, we appreciate that. So, 
um, thank you for that. And um, I urge everybody to continue to be safe, though, most importantly, uh, because you see all of the things that's going on on TV and you worry about people. So, uh, you know, I, I cannot stress that enough. Everybody be safe out there, not just, you know, myself and other African-Americans and minorities in general. But uh, right now, the American public needs to be safe because it's just so much going on. And, uh, you know, the pandemic hasn't made it any easier as well. So there is that. So, um, again, once again, Phil, thank you. Um, and for those of you that are just urging for change, we appreciate you all and ask that you continue to use your platform to do that in the right way. And, uh, you know, hopefully change will come about in America. Yeah, I think some people, especially young people, Jay, are, are sometimes conditioned to think that they their opinion does not matter or that they cannot make a difference. And that is definitely far from the truth, because every single change in this country started from somewhere and in situations just like this. Now, of course, we we hope to get to the point where it doesn't have to come to this drastic of a circumstance where things have to change. However, this is this is how things start. This is how these changes, as I mentioned, are are uh, are come about. So um, like Jay said, we just want to echo everybody be safe no matter where you are in the country. If you are a listener in the Minneapolis and the Minnesota area, just please be careful and take care of yourselves and uh, just watch out for each other, you know, love each other and, and, and be good to each other. That's, I think, one thing that we, we definitely want to stress. So that's it for this week's episode. You guys, we really, really appreciate you. And, um, you know, we, we understand that having this kind of platform and this content allows us to speak up and, and address things like this. And we think it would be irresponsible if we just ignored them and acted like they weren't going on altogether. So, that being said, again, head over to Apple Podcast, you guys like and subscribe to the show and leave us those comments. We love reading them. Thank you again so much from the bottom of our hearts for all of the support. You can also subscribe on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in. We're over at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. I'm Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino. That is James Johnson at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. This is the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.